And we are in the middle of a series, we just started it last week, and it's called On Trend. And we're basically discussing uh, trendy things in today's society and what the church has to say about it. So who was here last week? Was anyone here last week? Okay, what, what was last week's topic? Mindfulness. Okay, very good. So last week, Marianne gave us a really good lesson on mindfulness. And if you haven't listened to that, I'd encourage you to go online and give that a shot. Today's topic, as you have already heard, uh, is intermittent fasting. Now, even just saying the word fasting up here, I'm sure not a lot of you are happy <laughs> about this topic. But um, we're going to kind of approach it uh, a little bit differently today. So if anyone immediately, when I say the word fasting, starts trembling or shaking, guards down now, okay? It's going to be okay. We're all going to make it through this together. Um, so just by a show of hands, before we kind of get started here, uh, how many of us have tried some sort of like calorie restriction or diet or some sort of plan to help us kind of take care of our bodies? Anyone? Like all of us, I hope, at this point? Um, so, and the reason why we do it is because we care about our bodies, right? We care about how our bodies function. We care about like the longevity of our bodies. Um, and some of us care about the appearance of our bodies. Um, so there's reasons why we do it. And the main reason that these diets and things exist is because there's an unhealthy relationship or a tension between us and food for whatever reason. And there has always been, and we're not like, you know, new in society today where it's just today that there's that unhealthy tension. Um, but it's something that's pretty consistent uh, throughout history. I was reading a, a kind of a study that NIH published recently, and they said that two out of three adults are either overweight or obese. Two out of three. So like if I take a sample of three people, two out of three. That, that's a staggering number, but is anyone really like surprised? I'd say probably not. We all know that obesity is a problem here in the U.S., um, so it's not something that's super shocking. And I don't really need a stat to tell us that there's that unhealthy balance. I was kind of thinking in my own personal life, like what are examples of um, a weird relationship with food or something that doesn't make sense? Um, and the, there are so many examples. But the one that, I, that really came to mind was, for anyone who knows my wife, so my wife, like, and every time I mention my wife while I'm here on stage, she gets very nervous, so it makes me happy on the inside. Um, so my, anyone who knows my wife, she's very generous. She loves to cook for people, and she enjoys cooking for people. That's kind of like how she gets joy. Um, and usually we'll have people over, and she'll cook for people, and she's excellent at, at cooking for people. And people will take the first bite, and they'll say, wow, like, how did you prepare this meal? And she'll explain, like, oh, I did this, this, and this, okay? And then the conversation turns into, okay, so you, you know, you put this ingredient in there and this ingredient. Have you ever tried this ingredient? Um, no, I guess I haven't. How about this meal? Have you ever had that meal? Oh, that meal is delicious. It's such a good meal. And before you know it, you're done with the food on your plate. You're not really sure what you ate because you were fantasizing about 30 other meals. Has that happened to anyone else? You're, yeah, everyone, right? So that's pretty common. It's the equivalent of like booking your dream vacation. You land in, let's say, Greece. Okay, you land in Greece and you look around and you say, you know what would be really cool? Italy. Like in that very moment. Like can you take five seconds to enjoy it? That's kind of our relationship with food. Is It's kind of secondary in a way because we fantasize about other things that we're eating while we're eating. Um, and that's why there are diets and things like that in place. Now intermittent fasting specifically, um, I did some research um, on kind of like what society says what like intermittent fasting is today. There's a lot of different variations of it is what I've learned. Um, but one of the variations that I found um, was something called the fast diet. 
And the Fast Diet, uh, this book and also a documentary by this uh, Dr. Michael Mosley. So Dr. Michael Mosley, uh, if you haven't heard of him, he looks like a very ordinary guy. Um, doesn't look like, you know, super overweight or anything like that. Just looks like a normal guy. He goes to the doctor one day, and he finds out he's a type 2 diabetic. And not only is he a type 2 diabetic, he found that his body fat percentage was 27% um, and other health issues uh, that he found out. And he was surprised that, that that was the condition of his health. He goes on this five-and-a-half-week diet, and his body fat percentage goes down to 19.4 over five weeks from 27%. He lost 14 pounds. Blood sugar was normalized. Black cholesterol went down. Good cholesterol went up. And his IGF-1 markers, which is like an indicator for your susceptibility to different like, types of cancer, decreased by 50%. So all in all, like, it was like incredible results over a five-week period. If you're interested in watching his documentary or reading, the book is up there, but the documentary is called Eat Fast and Live, and it's actually like on YouTube for free, so you can watch it. Um, so how did this guy do it? So he did a lot of research, and he found that fasting had um, an interesting... Uh, kind of effect on the body. And he went around and did a lot of research on different types of fasting, and he ends up coming up uh, or popularizing, he didn't really come up with it, but he popularized through his book and his documentary this thing called the 5-2 method, um, which is interesting. So the 5-2 diet is an idea that basically says you eat normally for five days, and then for two non-consecutive days, you do some sort of fasting. So in his case, he like decreased his calorie intake significantly in those two days. Okay, so for five days, he would eat normally. And then for two non-consecutive days, he would fast. That, yeah, yeah, does that ring any bells? <laughs> so it's the fast that we all ignore, right? It's the fast that we're like, yeah, we know we're supposed to fast Wednesdays and Fridays, but we don't really do it. So Wednesdays and Fridays, well, the church has been doing this for quite some time. And <laughs> it's actually one of the oldest fasts in our church. Um, I don't know if, if you guys know this, but the way that Wednesdays and Fridays, essentially we took it from a Judaic practice, and we made it Wednesdays and Fridays specifically because Wednesday was commemorating the betrayal of Christ and Friday commemorating the crucifixion of Christ. Now, this idea that we have this fast in our church makes you kind of realize that God and the church provides these tools in our lives, not necessarily just for spiritual reasons, but also it's a holistic thing, right? It's physical, it's mental, and even in his study he shows that they were doing like experiments on mites and things like that, and it showed actually neurological effects um, that were positive uh, with fasting. So Wednesdays and Fridays um, was basically what he kind of came up with or popularized in 2012 in the UK. And I was watching the documentary, kind of like leading up to this doing research, and he says something, may or may not have irked me a little bit, but he basically is like, what I found was revolutionary. And he just like looks at the screen in like dramatic fashion. And like, as if he like just invented something magnificent. Um, and to his credit, he actually mentions Orthodox Christianity in his book as one of the traditions that has practiced that for a long time. So we all kind of know fasting is, has like good benefits from a spiritual sense, but maybe a lot of us haven't thought about like the physical and mental uh, effects of it as well. And if you're interested in kind of reading more on that, I would encourage you to read this book, also the book that we just passed out, um, food Faith Fasting is written by an Orthodox Christian um, nutritionist, and she does a great job kind of walking through um, good ways and tips to uh, hold the fast. Now, some of you may not be convinced in terms of like, are we sure that fasting has really played an important role in our faith? 
So the first thing I would say is, for sure we know it existed in the Old Testament, and some people will say, well, maybe it died in the Old Testament. If you're an Orthodox Christian, you know we fast Lent, and Lent is very long, and we do it because Jesus fasted, so you know that that's not the case, right? So Matthew 4, 1 through 2, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. So Jesus himself fasted. That's obviously one huge example that we have in the New Testament. But it doesn't stop there. We actually have example of Cornelius, who is a Gentile, who knows nothing about nothing, who fasted and prayed. Um, we also have examples of um, Old Testament characters such as Moses, um, David, the Ninevites as a community fasted, uh, the Israelites as a community fasted. And then even church fathers spoke about fasting. And the apostles themselves, like the Buddha discussed today, um, they fasted as well to receive guidance um, in the New Testament. And church fathers like St. John Chrysostom, St. Basil, St. Macarius, and many more spoke about this idea of fasting. But are we sure Jesus really expected us to fast or wanted us to fast? So a lot of times we read this verse in the context of how we fast, but I'm just going to come back to this verse, but just the first part. But you, when you fast. But you, when you fast. The word when here is really important because Jesus is saying the expectation is that you will fast. But I don't like the way fasting is going on right now. Let me teach you how to do it properly. So the key thing here is that Jesus himself doesn't see a problem with fasting necessarily, but he sees a problem with the way that fasting is done. Okay, And that stuff creeps in all the time. Regardless of how long the church has been fasting, maybe us as individuals can kind of misunderstand the, the need for fasting or why we fast. Um, and that's really going to be kind of the goal today. I'm not going to get into like the different types of fasts we have in the church and vegan, pescatarian. I'm not going to get into all that today. Um, but what I will get into is like the principles, why we fast and how we should fast. So the first up, why we fast. So certainly, again, the church cares about our holistic being. It cares about our physical needs. But there's definitely spiritual reasons for why we fast. Um, and we'd be kind of you know, ignorant if we didn't know the spiritual reasons. And the first reason of why we fast is very simple. Humans tend toward excess. We don't tend toward moderation. We just don't. In the history of humanity, and in different areas, not just food, right? There's greed, right? So there's a lot of different ways where we just don't know how to live in moderation. And when it comes to food specifically, excess, is, when we have food in excess, we're actually like damaging our body and we're abusing our body, and we're not really enjoying the, the gift of God in its, in its wholeness in the way that it's supposed to be enjoyed. So another way to say that is moderation leads to thanksgiving, but excess leads to idolatry. Okay? And again, to think of kind of an example in my own personal life, um, everyone here has like a favorite junk food, right? So everyone kind of has like that secret junk food that they love. So you can have your pizza. For me, it's not pizza. I'm actually not a big pizza guy, which is shocking to a lot of people. You can have your burger. I don't really, burger isn't really like, it's good, but it's not my favorite. If I had to choose one, one junk food, chicken wings. I'm a sucker for chicken. I love chicken wings. And the problem with chicken wings is that they're like, they come in on this like platter and they're like super tiny and they're deceiving. Chicken wings are so deceiving because you can have like one chicken wing and it's like, oh, okay, this is good. Then two chicken wings, then like 10 chicken wings, and then like, oh, this is so good. And if it's like spicy, even better, like it's great. And you can do a lot of variations with chicken wings. So I love chicken wings. And that's my favorite junk food. But let's say I go to like a fine establishment and get like the best chicken wings there is, like glory days, okay? Like <laughs> fine, real fine establishment. 
And if anyone is from Glory Days or watching this, I will happily accept a sponsorship. But Glory Days, let's say I go to Glory Days, I walk in, and I get like five chicken wings. And the first wing I have is delicious. Okay. Second wing I have, pretty good. What if I have like 10, 20? What if I have 50? What if I have 50 wings? I can't eat 50 wings. But what if I could? And I have 50 chicken wings. You would think something that is enjoyable, the more I have of it, the more enjoyable it is. Does our experience say that? No. I'm going to feel disgusting after the 50th chicken wing, right? I'm going to feel really gross. And it's a lesson to teach us that our bodies aren't wired that way. God teaches us moderation because he says, yes, there's this thing that you love, that you enjoy, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's a beautiful thing. But when it's abused and it's in excess, it's damaging to me. And more than damaging, it leads to idolatry. Why? It's funny saying, like, I've made the food the idol, but I would actually say you've made yourself your idol. Because what I'm doing now is I'm not taking care of my body, which God entrusted me with. I'm saying that I only care about my pleasure, and that's it, right? I care only about my pleasure, and I'll do anything to increase the pleasure, increase the pleasure. I'm not happy with just, this is good. Thank God I have this, and I'm going to you know, eat it, and I'm fine with it. But I'm more focused on, no, I want to increase and maximize pleasure. And the irony of it is the more you try to maximize the pleasure, the less pleasurable it is. It's not as enjoyable. So moderation leads to thanksgiving. Excess leads to idolatry. When we have things in moderation, we can enjoy them. We can appreciate things that God has given us in our lives. I'm thinking of another example of something as simple as water, right? We take things here for granted because I have never worried about having clean water or not. But there are some in some countries that don't have that. It's not a luxury for them. So for us to have that, when I have a cup of water, am I truly thankful for it? Probably not, because I have it so often I'm numb to it. I'm immune from it. But somebody that doesn't have clean access to water, and then you start giving them clean access to water consistently, they're going to be very thankful for that, because they don't have that all the time. Moderation leads to thanksgiving. Excess leads to idolatry. Solomon knew this the best. Um, and he says here in Ecclesiastes, all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, and behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. There was no guy in the history of humanity. He would look at something, and he liked it, he would have it. Didn't matter what it was. And he did not withhold his heart from any pleasure, he says. And in the end, it was nothing. It was vanity. There's a numbness to it. It's not as enjoyable when you have it in excess. So that's the first reason we fast. We fast because moderation is an important principle, and it's an important spiritual principle that we learn, not just with food, but with everything else. And the more we can practice moderation and not excess, the more that becomes applicable. And that's why I always tell people fasting isn't just about like the ingredients of what types of food you can have, but it's the portion control, which can be even more difficult. Like for me, I know you give me a plate that's this big, with food on it, I'll eat all of it. I'll eat everything on the plate. You give me half the size of a plate with the same food, I'll eat all of it. It's the same thing. And I won't go back for more because I finished my plate. It's like a habit that we have. In that book, actually, she gave the idea of when you're fasting especially, try to use smaller plates. And I thought, that's silly. But I can see how that could work for a lot of people. So that's the first thing. The first thing is moderation and learning of moderation. That's a good reason why we fast. The second thing. Why do we fast? As Christians, why do you fast? And Jesus 
said to, to the devil in Matthew 4, 4, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The second and only reason you really need is that Christ himself fasted. And when we fast, we participate in the life of Christ. Sometimes we say things like, we imitate Christ, which is accurate. We do imitate Christ. But we don't imitate Christ in a way that's just purely historical, like Christ did this, so I do this. It's not quite that simple. Have you ever thought about, like, why did Christ fast for 40 days and 40 nights? Has anyone ever thought about that? Like, why, do, why did Christ fast? Like I told you, we need to fast. One reason we need to fast is moderation, not excess. Did Christ have that problem? No, he didn't. He's fully in control. He doesn't have that problem. Okay, another one. Why was Christ baptized? Why was Christ baptized? Did Christ need to be baptized? Why are you baptized? You're baptized, you're adopted in the family of God. Does God need to be adopted in the family of God? No, right? That's a very silly statement. God does not need to be adopted in the family of God. But what God does and what Christ does is him being fully human takes on everything and sanctifies it for us. So Christ is baptized so that we can be baptized. Christ fasts so that we can fast with him. So he sanctifies everything and opens the door so we can participate with him in it. A good example of this is when, I, when, when Christ died on the cross, right? And when Christ resurrected, we say that Christ died for us and Christ rose from the dead for us. Christ died so that when we die, we also rise with him. Christ was baptized so that when we are baptized, we are baptized in him. Christ fasted so that when we fast, we fast with him. We participate with him. And it's a relationship, right? So fasting is a tool to engage in the relationship, to engage in the person of Christ. So it's more than just a simple imitation, but it's more of like a union, a relationship. And oftentimes with fasting specifically, if you grew up in the church, it doesn't feel like a relationship. It feels like I'm just following strict guidelines for a certain period of time, and then I get to party and celebrate when the fast is over. And that's not really the way that fasting is supposed to be done. That's why we fast. First reason, moderation, least to thanksgiving, excess least to idolatry, so it teaches us moderation. Second thing is we participate in the life of Christ. We have union with Christ. Now the hard part, how we fast. So we know fasting is good. Right? We said there's definitely that, that example of that guy. He saw the health benefits, the physical benefits of fasting. There's also neurological benefits, some would say. There's definitely spiritual benefits, as we just saw. And we saw that consistently throughout the history of church, scripture uh, and, and church fathers and all these things, fasting was important. Now how we fast, right? If we're focused on that fasting is important, now I need to learn how we fast properly. Disclaimer on fasting, okay, like before we kind of dive in here on terms of how we fasting. Oftentimes I feel like people who have like certain medical conditions and can't fast exactly the same way as everyone else does in the church, they feel guilty or bad about it. That's garbage, okay, like if you have medical reasons, it's obvious, follow your doctor's advice, okay, like we're not, I am not a physician, okay, <laughs> no one here is like if your doctor tells you something, you follow it. Second thing, if you're new to the church, this is sometimes something that I see as well as Somebody that's new to the church, let's say he's never fasted before, and they join church at, during Lent time, and you're like, oh, so what do you guys do for Lent? 
oh, we're vegan for 55 days, welcome. Like, excuse me, vegan for 55 days? Like, that's not, like, maybe because we grew up in church, or some of us have grown up in church, like, we're used to it. Don't take that for granted when you're talking to people about fasting. So there's a gradual progression when it comes to fasting, okay? So kind of think about it with, like, you know, let's use our brains, let's use common sense. If you're not in any of those categories, or those things don't apply to you, usually you fall into two different categories. One category is what I like to call the fasting savant. Okay, you're a fasting expert. You know exactly what's in every ingredient, and you know exactly what's in every ingredient for everyone else. Okay, and you don't hesitate to let them know what's in every ingredient. Okay, you're a fasting savant. We'll kind of discuss the fasting savant and the dangers of that. The other one is the complete opposite extreme, is I've seen people on how they fast. I want nothing to do with that. Fasting is not a spiritual thing. They just follow some dietary restriction, and they're still the same miserable person, and I want nothing to do with that. So those are the two extremes. And some of us may fall somewhere in the middle. For the, messaging, for the, for the, the message for the fasting spots, judging someone else's fast means you have completely missed the point. Okay? If you're judging someone else's fast, you have missed the point entirely. That is not the point of fasting. Fasting, like what Christ said in that verse, which we'll come back to, is that you're doing, you're doing it in secret between you and God. And it's a relationship. You're growing in that relationship. And when we give up something, we are also in union with God and we're having that spiritual relationship. One church father said, uh, St. Isidore, says, if you fast regularly, and don't take this out of context, okay? I like my job. If you fast regularly, do not be inflated with pride. If you think highly of yourself because of it, then you had better eat meat. It is better for a man to eat meat than to be inflated with pride and glorify himself. So this is, this is a very ascetic man. He's living in the desert like, and fasting like we fast here, but in like the monasteries and stuff, they like really, really, really fast. Okay? And this is his advice to, to people around him. If you fast regularly and you're inflated with pride, you feel the necessity to judge someone else's fast, you had better eat meat. Okay? Or you better just not judge. Okay, in our case, don't eat meat, just don't judge. All right? So if you're judging someone else's fast, it means you completely missed it. That's not the point at all of the fast. There's a context here for this verse that St. Paul gives in Romans 14.4 where he says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. That's an interesting thing that St. Paul is saying here. Um, and the context of this is actually a little bit different. So the context of this is, at the time, Christians were buying food from the regular marketplace, but the regular marketplace was um, administered by Gentiles, and they sometimes would offer that food um, to idols. Okay? So then there arose two camps. Some said, well, it doesn't matter what they're doing with the food. I'm going to eat it anyways because food doesn't defile my body. Then the other camp said, well... I don't want to participate with that, so I'm just going to be a vegetarian altogether, like period. And St. Paul in Romans 14 tells them, no, it's right that it's not going to defile your body. Okay, like it's, it doesn't matter that they're doing their thing. That food is not going to defile your body. But he gives a message to both groups. He says, you, if you're eating meat, don't judge your brother who's vegetarian. You, if you're vegetarian, don't judge your brother who's eating meat. Okay? So he tells them that specifically because what he's trying to say here is, it's not up to you. You're not the judge. 
Who are you to judge the servant of another? So anytime you kind of get that judging thought with anything, this is a really good verse to remember. Who are you to judge the servant of another? So we don't typically, um, even though this doesn't typically deal with like fasting specifically, it still applies in our context today. The number one way of how we fast is we do it without judging. The moment you start judging, then you know something is off with your fast. You're doing it for the wrong reason. So that's the first way. We do it without judging. Come, we came back to this verse again, but you and you fast, right? So the when we said was important because it indicated that Christ expected us to fast. Um, but then he gives advice in terms of how you do it. Anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who's in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Okay, so we're fasting without judging, but what does this have to do with anything? What is Christ trying to tell them? What do you guys think? Like, does this mean that you anoint your head, when you're fasting, you anoint your head, and you wash your face? I hope everyone here is washing their face. Fasting or no fasting, okay? But Christ is giving them, again, context, right? So the context is important. What he's telling, he's telling the Pharisees at the time, because the way that they would fast is they would seem miserable to other humans. They would go, and they would look disheveled, annoyed, miserable, and then that would mean that they were fasting. So people are looking like, wow, look, that person's so spiritual. They're so miserable in their fast. That's so nice. And that's how they indicated that they were fasting, right? So that they would get glory from men. So that men would be like, wow, that person is so ascetic. They're just so miserable in their fast, okay? But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So what Christ is saying is, no, when you fast, you do it properly. It's between you and God, and you do it in secret. And on top of that, where I would kind of apply today's context to it, is we do it without complaining, okay? When we fast, we do it without complaining. So what's the purpose of them in their time looking disheveled and miserable? Is because I want you to notice that I'm miserable, and that's kind of my way of complaining, but I kind of feel better about myself by you telling me, oh, you're so, you're so holy, you're fasting, and you're miserable, okay? So in today's context, it's the same thing. Do we complain when we fast? Do we complain when we fast? Yeah, we complain when we fast, okay? And the reasons that I sometimes hear are kind of funny um, in terms of, like, different complaints. And one of those things are, you know, it's not really, like, the church doesn't understand. It's not, like, really, like, a healthy diet. Like, they don't really get it. Like, I'm on, like, keto. And, uh, like, they don't, the church just doesn't get it. They just don't understand. Are you telling me there's no healthy vegetarians or vegans out there? Like, that's really the case? Like, we're just going to say that healthy vegans don't exist, okay? Like, you can't get your protein any other way. I know. You're working out. You need the protein intake. I get it, man. Like, there's no other way for you to, to have that protein intake. I often sometimes, like, people will complain that they've gained weight during the fast, which I find astonishing. Like, I don't know how you gain weight during the fast. But if you're gaining weight during the fast, like, maybe that diet of like 50 pounds of french fries is probably not the healthiest way to go. Okay, like if you're gaining weight during the fast, there's something wrong, right? Because again, fasting isn't just the ingredients, it's the portion control, okay? So like we can eat all things in moderation, yes, but there are definitely healthy ways to be a vegan. There's definitely healthy ways to fast. Again, that book, the Food, Faith, and Fasting book, actually gives a lot of really good tips in terms of how to do it in a healthy way. 
And by the way, I'm not saying that every time I fasted, I've done it in a healthy way. Because I know I've done it in an unhealthy way. Because when I'm hungry, you just try to grab anything. You try to feed your body. Instead of focusing on, oh, I'm hungry. And like taking a second to like just think about it. Okay, I'll eat this. In a little bit, I'll eat this. And it just makes you think about having food in moderation rather than just jumping the gun and trying to eat as fast as possible. So how we fast? We fast without judging. And we fast without complaining. Notice I haven't said anything about like specific ingredients. This is the church calendar, all that stuff. Again, this is all gradual. Okay? And if you have questions about this, especially if you're new to the faith, you definitely want to consult with like uh, one of like your, your church, your father of confession, or someone that's like a mentor to you that's been in the faith for a while. Yeah? The last reason that we fast and how we fast. Fasting isn't just about you, but we do it together for encouragement. It's another complaint, or not complaint, sometimes I'll hear the following statement of, like, what is it to you if I'm fasting or not? I live a pretty healthy diet, like, and I'm not interested in the way the church fasts. I have my own way of fasting. And I get it. And I, I, I'm not, like, judging in any way. But one of the reasons that we do it communally is because we do it to encourage each other. Um, so nothing about Christianity says that you do, you know, you fast specifically for um, just yourself and your relationship with God. Or you do anything for your, just for you and your relationship with God. Everything that we do is communal. You guys know that, like, um, pretty much all the sacraments that we do um, are essentially communal, right? So, like, if you think of the Eucharist, we do that communally. Baptism, we do, like, a celebration. It's communal. That's how it's supposed to be done. Confession actually used to be communal. But because how awkward that would get, um, over time, they stopped doing it communally and, and in public. But the idea was the same, because the idea from the get-go was we do this together for encouragement. We're building each other up in Christ. So the, the, the thing about, you know, like, I'm not really hurting anyone, yeah, but are you helping? Like, if I just showed you that fasting has all these benefits, right, we just talked about all the benefits that fasting has, and we also, more than that, not only the benefits that fasting has, but that Christ himself fasted, Old Testament characters fasted, New Testament, the apostles themselves, early church, fasting has always existed. So if I'm telling you that fasting is good, fasting is good, and it has a history and it has evidence, it's proven in the history of our church, then if somebody in the church wants to fast, and even if you're not fasting in the moment, I wouldn't flaunt it. I wouldn't flaunt the fact that you're not fasting. Again, because we fast together for encouragement. It's like St. Paul says, if I eat meat and it's going to bother my brother, it's going to make my brother stumble, then maybe I don't in that moment. Yeah? So fasting isn't just about you, but we do it together for encouragement. want to recap. So we've talked so far about, and I have a disclaimer coming up, but before the disclaimer, I, just, I do want to recap so much so far. The 5-2 diet thing that we talked about, which was funny, you know, that like there's like the trendy thing is this intermittent fasting, 5-2 diet, Wednesdays and Fridays. That's cool. But we saw that that guy truly benefited from it, and that's a good thing. So I actually don't believe in like knocking on like trendy things in society, because if it's working for people, that's great. I like the fact that it's working for people. Um, but it's also good to recognize that we have that here in the church and that you can practice that here in the church. But sometimes I feel like we don't practice things in the church because when I do it on my own, there's like a sense of accomplishment that like I did it on my own. Like, yes, the church tells me to fast, 
but I can do this type of thing on my own for my own benefit. I get that, but this is the reason why not to only do it that way. This is the reason why you want to think about the other person. Like I asked you guys before, did Christ himself need to fast? No, he didn't need to fast. Do we need to fast? Yes, but we don't. So Christ himself didn't need to fast, but he fasted anyways for our sakes, right? That's the logic so far. Christ didn't need to fast, but he did it anyways for our sakes. We who we need to fast won't do it for, for each other, even though it's good for us too. But sometimes we'll feel like, you know what, it's not just about me. Those are the main things in terms of why we fast and how we fast. So the why is really important. We participate in the life of Christ, and we learn moderation. And moderation is something that's useful spiritually for all aspects of life. And how we do it is we don't judge each other. We really don't judge each other in terms of where we are on the fasting scale. If you're a fasting savant, be careful. Because if that's your go-to is to judge somebody else's fast, that's way worse than just following your own fast. We do it without complaining, and we do it together communally. Last thing I'll say. If you're avoiding fasting, if you're just not sold, then maybe you really need to embrace it. You might need to embrace it. Because the more that I resist something that I know is good, it says something deeper about something in my heart if I don't want to embrace it. And again, I'm not defining what fasting is specifically depending on the spectrum of where you're at. But if I'm avoiding and I have argumentative cases of why something is invalid or not beneficial to me, could it be that everyone else is wrong historically? Like when they fasted together, there was no benefit to them fasting together? A lot of times they fasted together for repentance. They fasted together because they, draw, they drew nearer to God. There was a spiritual component to it. And fasting is difficult. Fasting isn't easy. It's not an easy thing. Um, and that's why it's more important to take it step by step in a spiritual manner. A lot of times we're so focused on fulfilling like the, the, the letter of the law, and that's very pharisaic. Okay? So it's not necessarily about the letter of the law, but it's about us doing it together for the benefit of each other and for our relationship with God and that union with God. And that moderation component, that teaching us self-control and how we are participating in the life of Christ is really important. So if you're new to the church, I would encourage you to reach out to someone that you're comfortable talking to about fasting. If you're not new to the church and you've been ignoring fasting for a while, I'd encourage you to take a step back in. And again, there's no judgment. There's no judgment. Because we've all fallen in, this, in, in the extremes, right? We've all been, maybe at one point, the extreme of every single ingredient. I'm a fasting savant. Your fasting is not as good as my fasting. My fasting is better. And actually, just a story about that, which kind of like broke my heart, was I was once at a conference, and we were doing like a small group discussion, and I was leading the conference before, obviously, I was a priest. And someone said along the lines, and the, and the premise of the conference was like diversity, like orthodox diversity. Someone said something along the lines of, these people don't even fast. Their fast is like three days here, three days there. They can eat this. They can eat that. Our fast is so much better. It's so much greater. And the guy was obviously Coptic because we're pretty strict on our fast. So, so he was basically like just bashing this, these other people. And there's, the people are sitting in the room. Like this isn't like a one-on-one -on -one conversation like, oh, what do you think about, you know, different types of fasting? This wasn't like an intellectual conversation. This was a bashing conversation. 
And it, and it hurt. It hurt me. And immediately I had to respond to the guy. And I'm like, is that really like what fasting is about? Like fasting is about like you're judging the person that's literally sitting next to you or behind you? Like, of course not. So that, if we're practicing fasting in that way, that's dangerous. So we never want to judge. We never want to judge. And with the same token, judgment, as you saw in this example, came with complaining. Why do they have the easy fast, right? That's kind of the root of it. It's not like, oh, my fast is just greater. But it's like, man, they're fast, right? So they, they're, he's also focused on the other person's fast and complaining about that. And the, the, the main thing that, that we sometimes miss is that we judge and we complain, but the communal aspect is something that I feel like we miss sometimes, is that when I fast, do I really think of how this benefits my brother and sister? And it does have a huge impact, because when we fast together and when we pray together, it does have a significant impact, and we've seen that in Scripture as well. That's a lot. I feel like I just like rambled on, and I just said a lot of things about fasting. If you're still kind of trembling in your seat and you hate this idea, come speak to me after the service. <laughs> like a bonus announcement, come speak to us after the service today. Um, but in all reality, I want you to do, I want you to really think about fasting from a spiritual mindset. And yes, we want to adhere to the rules of the church and the guidance of the church, but we never want to get to a point where that becomes more important than the people that are around us. We never want to get to a point where me adhering to a fast means that I offend my brother or my sister. Me adhering to a fast means that I judge my brother or sister. Or I make them weaker by complaining about my own fast in front of them. So those are the main things that we want to focus on as we just finished a fast. So that's why we're giving this talk today. Because otherwise, you wouldn't have an appetite to even hear this. Okay? So we're, we just finished the Apostles' Fast. The next fast that comes along, which is when? Ah, tricked you. Wednesday. Very good. Not St. Mary's. <laughs> Wednesday. 5-2 diet. Come on. No. So if whatever fast you're going to participate in the next one, the main thing is you have to embrace it, right? So come into it with an open heart and let your guards down and do it without judging, without complaining, and together for the benefit of everyone. And make sure that we're not only just, we're not only doing it for physical purposes, but we're gaining spiritually as well. All right, and that's, that's pretty much it for uh, today's talk. Let's stand up together and, and say a prayer. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we thank you so much for this beautiful church. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings that you're always giving us. We thank you, Lord, for all the tools and things you provide for us as a means to get to you, Lord, as a means to connect with you, as a means to connect to one another. We ask you, Lord, that you teach us how to use those means properly like fasting, Lord, that we use it in a way that is edifying both in our relationship with you and in our relationship with one another, and that we're never doing it in a spirit of judging, we're never doing it in a spirit of complaining, um, but we're really doing it together and honoring to you, Lord, in a way that is glorifying to your name and that we're doing it in a spiritual manner. We ask you, Lord, that you hear our prayers through the intercessions of all your saints as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is.